Hey, common scientists, we're coming to you this week with the topic of freedom and responsibility. So if you tuned in last time, you maybe heard a bit about this. If you're new today, here's the gist of it. We are common scientists. That means we do some research, we come to the table, and we try to better understand the topic at hand. So this week, we're diving into the idea of freedom and responsibility, or maybe freedom versus responsibility, depending on where our individual research led us. And the topic idea was brought to us by Mr. Aiden, I myself and Lauren, and then we have Dre as well. Uh, Aiden, what sparked your interest about freedom and responsibility? Do you have something to share with us? So, I mean, it's something that I've thought about. Uh, and we had the cast on Free Will recently. But even before that, I was reading a book by Viktor Frankl, who's a psychiatrist, mm -hmm. And he survived Auschwitz and he wrote this book called Man's Search for Meaning. And in it, he said something along the lines, I couldn't find the exact quote, but he talked about how the U.S. So after the war, he moved to the U.S. And he talked about how in the U.S. we have this Statue of Liberty on the East Coast. It should be paired with a sister statue of responsibility on the West Coast. So that was the general gist of his quote. And that stuck with me because it just made me kind of really question this relationship between the two of freedom and responsibility. Uh, what is the tension if there is one between the two? Uh, yeah. And like what makes that important in our lives? Um, but yeah, that's like kind of the, the context of it. And where I was coming from in terms of choosing this cast. Dre, do you believe that we are free? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, like in, in respect to having free will, freedom of choice, not really. I think that there's too many limiting factors. I think our biology, our genetics, our ancestry, everything that sent the universe into motion, uh, advertisements, th things that are sublimely put into our heads every single day, interactions between individuals, parenting, everything that we didn't choose makes us who we are and impacts our decisions. So in a pure sense, I don't think so, no. But for the sake of conversation and practicality, I can talk about freedom and responsibility and even free will under an umbrella of like more deterministic thinking. Okay. And when you say deterministic thinking, you mean... I mean, the idea that we are not purely free agents, as in we cannot just make an idea or a choice out of thin air. There's always going to be a cause to any action, any choice that we make. Okay. And Aiden, your position on free will was a little different, yes? Uh, a little different. I would agree with Dre that things are, are pretty laid out before us and, and that there is like a a many many influences that cause uh, our own lives and how they unfold uh i would like to think that free will exists and i do think that it may exist um but you'd have you'd have to go to the free will cast uh to listen more on my uh philosophy about that but yeah. um yeah i i guess a little bit more uh in the middle but not completely. Yeah. I like this tension of freedom versus responsibility, though, for a few different reasons. But I think Viktor Frankl's quote, again, this Auschwitz survivor who wrote a phenomenal book, 
that I've also read. Um, it talks about like a statue of liberty and then maybe a statue of responsibility. Why do you guys think we struggle with like freedom versus responsibility? I think one aspect is, of it is that we, I think that, so depending on how you look at it, freedom and responsibility, like they could be, like they could necessitate each other or they could be like opposites. Like you could have freedom from responsibility, which I think a lot of us, millennials, young adults, et cetera, I mean, just human beings, uh, we kind of miss that child, that childishness, that being a kid and being like, that was like the most free any of us ever were because yeah, at the same time, we were controlled by our parents and hope, I mean, if you had like a decent, you know, some people had worse childhoods than others, but if you kind of had parents that, you know, were loving, et cetera, there was this freedom because yeah, you had to do what they say. You had a bedtime and all that. But at the same time, it wasn't <laughs> the crushing anguish of like that and having to go to the job every day and this and that. And even like school, of course, it, it does feel like a little bit of a present when you're a kid but looking back on it it's like it's it, there just felt like there, there wasn't the general anxiety and even just the freedom of knowing every, like how the world really works you know mm -hmm. I, like me i was like a pretty innocent kid where i just had all these ideals and all that and now those things are kind of they don't crush me on a daily basis but i'm like they're in they're in my head right like i understand that there's genocides all over the world there's wars there's genital mutilation there's people starving while I'm living a great life in Minnesota and all these blessings that I have that so many people, billions of people around the world don't have. So I think that you have a freedom from that as a child, all that knowledge and all that responsibility of holding that on like your heart and, and your daily actions. But that's only because there is like a, almost a deity, which is your parents who are looking over you, who are responsible for you. And they take on all the responsibilities that you will eventually have as a free individual in the Western world, at least. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's well spoken. Do you have anything to add? Otherwise, um, just, I mean, I just, yeah, I think that it is fascinating. Like the, the, or, and the, and between freedom and responsibility, like you're talking about how, uh, yeah, as an adult, you have freedom and responsibility but that can easily, I mean, be confused with like freedom from responsibility. I read a study and I don't recall where it was from, but we'll link it in the show notes. And I'm curious what you guys think of this. So it was based on survey results, which also for any statistician out there and also for everyone else um, is, semi is biased because only a certain people like opt in to take a survey, right? So with all that in mind though, the survey found... Um, of this group of people that was questioned that when freedom was perceived, um, responsibility was not. And when responsibility was perceived, freedom was much less, like the degree of freedom was smaller. Like another way to put that would be to say that the respondents believed the less freedom they had in a choice that they were making, the more responsibility they felt that they should have on that choice because of maybe like all of this programming. It's like, if I have less, if I have less perceived freedom in this choice, like I need to be even more responsible in making the right one. 
which I thought was fascinating. It was back kind of backwards of what I mm-hmm. had thought. Um, and hopefully I'm doing it a little bit of justice in how I'm explaining it now. But basically they, and of course they didn't use the words freedom and responsibility, but definitions and scenarios over repeated like time. And um, that when people had the highest perception of freedom was when they made quick choices and often quick choices were associated with uh, like spontaneity and like dumb, dumb shit, <laughs> you know, like I'm not important. Like, it's not like, like, oh, like spontaneous, let's have a baby. Spontaneous, let's like, right. not those decisions, you know, right. it's like spontaneous i'm gonna have a beer versus wine like i don't know so i I thought that was really fascinating Mm -hmm. and it reminded me of what you just said yeah there that that is kind of the difficulty with you these words is that they can be taken interpreted in different ways um so obviously like i'm really interested to see how this conversation goes but just i think at some points we might just need to clarify kind of what we're talking about so I don't, I didn't read the study, obviously, so I don't know exactly what they're talking about. One thing that was really interesting to me was, like you said, the bigger the decision, obviously the less spontaneous you're going to be, you're going to think about it more. And I don't know if this is what the study was looking at or whatever, but one way we could look at responsibility in this way is that as an adult, you know that there's more consequences for like something having a baby. You know there's going to be more responsibility if you do something like have a baby. So therefore, you're going to feel like there's less freedom because that baby, that responsibility is going to make you feel more bonded to something versus just like, oh, let's go to the lake today or drive or whatever. That might feel like a more free decision because there really aren't any possible negative consequences or longstanding consequences that will happen. And, you know, I don't know. Yeah, that is really interesting. I guess I didn't. I you they had, that study had lost me for a second because of the counterintuitiveness of it of how they the correlation between responsibility and freedom. But I like it. I mean, it, I I was fascinated by it, and it made just a ton of sense to me because I am guilty of it too. Like free to, and especially I think as an American, and obviously I've never lived any experience other than being an American. But I especially thought of like even my own tendencies of like, oh, masks are maybe not required at this venue based on what the venue said, but according to the CDC, they are required. And so in like, in the Lauren that like wants to do the right thing, I would want to wear my mask. But in the Lauren that wants to be free, I'm like, I don't really want to wear my mask. So I'm just not going to wear my mask where it's like, it's freedom at the cost of responsibility. So I don't know, it just made sense that like, the less free you might be, the more responsibility you would take, or autonomy or like agency in the decision. Um, yeah, kind of counter- counterintuitive, but fascinating. Yeah, it's, I mean, just hearing both of your takes on it, just uh reminds me of of the uh amazingness that is the human mind and just how we all think about it in completely different uh ways because the way that i thought about it um so dre in particular i think you're 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 talking about like the responsibility that might come from the consequences Mm -hmm. the way i thought about it was like from uh 
Like if you have, I mean, just from kind of a mathematical perspective, if you have 10 options versus three options, like the, the responsibility is just like, um, like the, the feeling that you have over the three options is that the, each of those three options, if you're like weighting them equally, just has more weight. And so it would then like feel like you have more responsibility to make the right choice in that instance. Mm. Whereas if there's 10 options, it's like, oh, there's one tenth responsibility for each of these options associated with these options. So it just like would feel then like you, need- you have less of a like reason to be responsible in making the choice, which yeah, it's just like, I mean, just again, I don't know, just thinking about the different ways of of thinking about the study. But yeah, it is a, it is a fascinating take, though, for sure. Um, Jay, what else did your, your research kind of reveal in terms of this dichotomy? Yeah, so a lot of it was, I, I mean, I did some research on Sartre. Did you guys research mm-hmm. Sartre at all? No. Okay. Speaking of different approaches. Yeah, I'm not sure if I want to get into that quite yeah. yet. Um, unless, I, I, I'm more curious too, because I didn't research Frankel at all. So mm-hmm. I, I was kind of curious on what his background was, or like, have you guys both read the book? What does it meaning? So it's man's search, man's search for meaning. Yeah. Okay. I was obviously I know about um, his background, like in the concentration concentration camps and all that, but I didn't really I don't really understand like his greater worldview of why he felt like why was it so important to him that the land of the free have this monument to responsibility as well, and like kind of what was he saying if we're reading between the lines? Is he saying yeah. that we are lacking that responsibility? Is he saying that freedom necessitates that responsibility? What exactly is your guys' interpretation? Of what he was saying. Do you want to go first or second? I want to go first. Okay. My interpretation. So, Frankel was talking about that in the context of living meaningful lives. And according to Frankel, if you are able to live a meaningful life, you'll be happy. Um, And that's kind of maybe simplistic. But in America particularly, a lot of people struggle for meaning and he had statistics behind it. It was some crazy percentage. And um, for him, even in Auschwitz, he was able to find meaning by like particularly thinking of this book that he would write and he had background in psychology prior to his experience in Auschwitz. And so my understanding of it I think for him as a psychiatrist or psychologist, psychiatrist, I forget. He was a psychiatrist. Psychiatrist was that he experienced the unhealthy side of freedom without responsibility, which to him, I think manifested in a lack of meaning because you had, and I think of Eden's numbers choice, like because there are so many choices and it sometimes seemed like too many choices because we are so free. Mm-hmm. Like people don't know who they are. And he even talked about like um, lack of culture or a lack of understanding where they come from or ancestry because of all of the like ethnicities and things here. Like 
he's he said he says like even a man without meaning who doesn't know who they are who has that can go back home and say like oh I'm, I'm a Norwegian you know but if you are a man without meaning and you go home and you don't really know I mean, because it's mom's from here, dad's from here, or you maybe don't know at all. Um, you don't even have that to fall back on. And so he was, I think, referring to this frustration of a multitude of people with no meaning. And I think tied that to this idea of freedom with a lack of responsibility. So that's my understanding of the context that he was explaining that in. Um yeah. yeah, that's, yeah, I appreciate your, your context, um, because it, it helped me with, <laughs> uh, yeah, just remembering bits and pieces of the, of the book, but just to provide some further context about Viktor Frankl, he is known for, for founding the Logotherapy School of, uh, of Psychological Therapy, Psychotherapy. Um, I might be butchering some of the terminology, but logotherapy okay. as an approach is focused around helping people find meaning. And so he is um, really focused on getting people to uh, toward uh, living meaningful lives. And there were just a few different ways that he mentioned uh, people could find meaning in their lives and sustaining meaning in their lives. And one was uh, like bearing a heavy burden, like so through your profession, like if you, through professional achievements, but then there's also like through your loved ones. So if you're living to help others make, make it uh, through the day, uh, like those are, two of the the more robust ways to have find meaning uh over a long period of time and so i think and like with both of those they're not they're not really associated with convenience and like this uh in the u.s at least my interpretation is that he is observing um like the instant gratification uh, culture and the like desire to get a quick fix when meaning actually requires showing up each and every day and like persevering through your suffering and like persevering through your suffering to uh, serve a noble profession or like your loved ones. Um, so I think that that, is, is my reading through the lines uh, partly beyond like the, uh, also the like numbers thing, just if you have so many choices, like each one feels uh, like less important. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so that's, I guess my, my reading of it and a little bit of extra context on mm. Victor Frankl. That's really interesting. <clears throat> yeah. I'm hearing a couple of different things. I'm hearing number one, that, too much freedom is a prison, right? If you have just unlimited choices, then you essentially have no choice. It's like it's overwhelming. You just overanalyze everything, every choice. 
like you said, like it becomes so diluted. You have so many options that it's just like you run the risk of just choices seeming meaningless versus if you have a lower, yeah, interesting. But then, so with Franco, I would, I don't know, I don't even know when this guy really was, like, is he still alive? I don't even know. But I would guess that he was coming into his philosophical prime, his career prime, writing this book somewhere around like postmodernism and then also the not the great white flight but essentially we're all maybe it was a great white flight where everybody started moving to suburbs getting farther away from their families and stuff like that because it's really interesting to hear him kind of lament the fact that yes americans were we're getting too much freedom right we have too much mobility we can live where we want we can move away from our parents we can run away from the responsible because before you would live you would live in a village right historically very small area small town where you knew everybody most people were family if they weren't family you grew up with them so they're pretty much family you have a, a duty to them a responsibility and that is a type of prison but it also gives you meaning right mm-hmm. and then now it's like now if i have issues with my parents i don't like the way they raised me i can just move 30 minutes away and i can just not see them if i don't want to and it sounds like he's in the postmodernism, which is just the deconstruction and the, I guess, just the destruction of labels and meaning and how everything is just created by social. They're all social constructions, and all this type of stuff. So I and that's a whole another type of freedom. Right. And that mm-hmm. seems to be a very American idea. I'm not saying that's where it came from, but it just seems to really jive with us. Like, yeah, we make our own purpose and this and that. And he's trying to, it seems like what I'm, what I'm here, what I'm deducing, he's just like reeling us back in a little bit. It's like, all right, yeah. like, yeah, freedom is awesome. Like, <laughs> I, we all love it, right? Like, we all, you know, good that their slaves are free. It's good that yeah. the Holocaust was in it. It's good that, you know, if, you know, people don't go into prison. All that freedom's good, but it's like there is this other thing on the West Coast of America, or should yeah. be on the West Coast of America, it's a statue of responsibility. I, I agree with your yeah. sentiment. And he even compares like the percentage he's like and I I almost I don't I don't know if he was like making a joke it kind of felt like it as a reader but I also I mean if anyone were to perceive his reading wrong it would be me because I'm way younger than him and I'm a woman and I didn't go through Nazi Germany (laughs) right like so this could be totally off but it almost seemed like a joke he was like yeah I'm like there's this major problem and then we have this country who's, like, supposedly doing really well in all these ways. And, like, here's their stats and here's Europe's stats. And it was, like, markedly different. Still a problem in Europe, too, but, like, this percentage of people with meaning versus without meaning of what he was looking at was crazy worse for Americans. Hmm. So I do think it was kind of some of that, like, yep, it's all good. Kudos to you, America. However, yeah, like, are you happy? Is anyone living meaningful lives? Yeah, yeah. I think that is the risk that you run with too much freedom is the freedom from everything. The freedom from responsibility, the freedom from bonds to loved ones. And then eventually it's the freedom from happiness, right? The freedom from meaning, a meaningful pursuit in your life. And I mean, we see that. It's. It seems to me. Obviously, we're a prisoner of our of the moment. But it seems to me that that is becoming more and more of a um, neurosis in our society. The lack of meaning, the lack of a meaningful pursuit, um, and probably that is going to be correlated with distancing yourself from your family and the people that you grew up with. But I. I don't know. I guess I am. 
I feel like I need to read this book now. <laughs> I, wish, I, wish, okay. I wish I would have read it in uh, in preparation for this, but uh, I guess like it, it is. Just, it, I, it's hard. It's hard for me to get over it. I, now I'm almost thinking I'm 29, right? So I am kind of over it, but I haven't necessarily reconciled it with my child, the child within me, mm-hmm. on how I I just remember just wanting to rebel against everything and just wanting complete freedom. And then obviously you get you grow up and you get smacked with bills and jobs and all that, and you're like whoa like freedom is responsibility like yeah. you think like it is like you as soon as you're like oh like i have my own house i have this i do whatever i want I say, oh well you thought you could do what you want but you're not gonna survive right because they're whatever so we listened to a podcast recently aiden and i and yeah. like similarly i think too we have this conception this problematic conception of freedom and responsibility but this was specific to marriage mm. Um, where the woman on the podcast was talking about how men will buy these t-shirts that say like, I mean, yeah, 10 more days of freedom or something getting hitched on the back. Mm. And it was hilarious to her because men generally like are much better off being married. Like the depression Mm. is less. Right. They're like all these things they're eating is better. Their life expectancy goes up, like all these things. And she's like, why is it that like you're you're probably more free to live a better life than ever once you're married, especially as a man? But then once you're married, you perceive to be trapped. Like yeah. you're probably more free, more healthy, living longer, right? Like in mm-hmm. all these ways. I don't know what you just said reminded me of that. Yeah, I think an an ill conceived philosophy of freedom has definitely had a deleterious effect on America, specifically probably on men. Um like I'm not saying it's not it's not everybody, but just I'm a man. I know a lot of men, <laughs> so I'm just like <laughs> how, how I can view it in a more like kind of a way that seems truer to me. I, I wouldn't you know really try to apply that to women as much. I suppose I would allow you to do that. I suppose in this context, I don't feel as confident doing that. But I definitely think that it is true, and I i think it, yeah like i said i think it's just a it's like an immature idea of freedom it's not the mm-hmm. understanding as sartre says like total freedom is total responsibility and that is a it seems like an like a paradox it's like what do you mean like i thought i was supposed to be free from these things so it's like no once you have the free will once you have the freedom of choice now you're responsible if you were a prisoner we could never hold you responsible it's like it's whoever your master's fault it's the government's fault it's whoever's fault it's god's fault if that's who's mm-hmm. controlling your actions. It's society's fault. But once we acknowledge as a society, community, nation, as America has, that we are free, we're the land on the free, that's where we have now this complex where, oh, that means like total responsibility. And that goes back to the Free Will Podcast where I talked about we really want, I think it's very human, but it's definitely super American we really want to put blame on people. We really want people to be at fault. We really want people to have responsibility for things. And that's where I just kind of like recoil. I'm like, hold on. Like there's so many, there's so much complexity to decision making and how people's lives end up and this and that. So I'm just like, that's where I think it definitely gets a little a little psychotic or like neurotic. And I, I love freedom. I live in land of free. I'm very happy at the time and place I was born. I could have been born hundred years earlier and been much worse position, but I think because we do truly believe, like Sartre says, this total freedom that we think we have as Americans and we try to strive to have, it leads to total responsibility. And then I think that 
when when it gets a little bit gross is where we start like instead of just saying oh i'm responsible for me and i'm gonna do the best i can we start pointing out like no that person is supposed to do this and that person's responsible for this and that person it's like chill out like you know what i mean it's just like oh you can only you can only really take responsibility for yourself and yes we can as a culture and as a community and as a society we obviously have to like you know have some rules and some judicial stuff but i think that's where it just gets a little bit strange for me and i'm like okay like, I don't really know what to do with this, but I think, like I said, I think it's just kind of like an immature or like kind of like ill-conceived philosophy of freedom that we start getting these negative um, side effects. Where do you guys think we most often blame or fail to take responsibility, like as humans or as Americans or as men? Or men? The two things that come to mind are just, first off, it, specifically the things with millennials, it's like blaming your parents. And a lot yeah. of us haven't grown out of that. Um, and then number two, there's a huge, there's a huge kind of impetus right now to blame the government for things. Um, and I think that's on both sides, left and right, but just like they obviously have different views on what should happen because of that. But yeah, I think those are like the two things, which is like, that's why they call it like, you know, some people call it big brother, some people call it like big daddy government, right? Cause it's like, oh, that's like our parent, right? That's who's supposed to be looking out for us. And it's mm-hmm. like, wait, this is your fault. So I think anytime we can blame our parents or the government, we tend to a lot of times, at least yeah. the more immature, mature ones of us do. I think uh, similar to the government uh, that would just you reminded me of was like the rich, the billionaires. Mm. Billionaire. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is kind of a yeah. I mean, just a fascinating one, but yeah. Which I definitely see that in liberal circles, um, where I don't know, left leaning, liberal, democratic, whatever progressive where there is because obviously they're more on that socialism spectrum where it's like oh yeah i think we should all come together as a country and like fund this and fund that and the government should make sure that there's no homeless people and make sure that there this shouldn't be a thing and make sure everybody has medicare make sure everybody has education whereas the right-leaning people are essentially like no let's make things more private you have your family your family takes care of your family government can handle wars and that's about it um and that's obviously a generalization but kind of where those things are leaning. And I think where that does become an issue, and I do hear the right side of the conversation, is that there is this victimized, or like, I don't know what it's called, like you become, you make yourself a victim. It's like, yes, we are all victims to an extent, for sure. But what power do you have if you don't take responsibility? You have no power. So all you can continue to do is to put that responsibility, that blame on a higher power but then you're just giving the power that you say is victimizing you more power mm-hmm. or right. perpetuating their power. So it's like that, that is making sense at some point. Yes. You can just say, Hey, maybe this isn't all my fault. Maybe there were some overarching forces that did this to me, parents, government, whoever, but at the same time, I need to be responsible for me right now and do the best I can. And yes, I do agree that there's so many social programs, so all these things that need to be performed, but if it doesn't start with you, and then your family and then your small community, then it's like, what's, it's not going to be, you know, you're not going to, going back to Frankel, if you don't ever take that responsibility, 
you're never going to feel that um, freedom of choice and you're never going to feel that meaning. Mm-hmm. So you're never going to be happy or satisfied with whatever the results are, even if rever- we get reparations and this and that, every- you're never going to feel that. There is a family that has moved like every 10 years or something to restore communities. And like, yeah, like it just reminded me of what you said. Do you recall the author? I don't know. Uh, we'll have to look, look. I thought maybe it was something we had talked about. But anyways, I'll have to look it up and link it in the show notes. But the gist of it, and I might screw this up because I'm just recalling this. But was that this family and these young kids in the family, I mean, I guess that's what the word implies, but would move to um, communities that historically had issues um, and just, like, start on their block and, like, have a cookout and then, like, involve the local whatever and then, like, and it would take about 10 years to turn the community from, like, some point to a more sustaining, helpful, I mean... I don't know, like for a tangible example, um, I was recently working as a teacher, as a substitute teacher in North Minneapolis and within Minneapolis, which is the biggest city in all of Minnesota, um, North Minneapolis is known to be like one of the more or maybe the most like Mm -hmm. rough neighborhoods in this whole city. And um, for the school that I worked at, there was no like parent committee, which is a big part of uh, some schools being really successful. Like the parents would play a big part in raising money and in -hmm. supporting the school. And like that didn't exist in North Minneapolis for this one school at the time that I was there. And like that example would be something that like this family would move into the community and start like Let's get the parent committees running. Let's get the community working for each other better. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I haven't read the book, but he writes about it and his experience and his family's experience. I thought that was um, honorable. Also a little bit like aloof or it's a little savory, I think, but I haven't read the book. Yeah. But just um, what you said, like starting with your home, your block, your whatever, that's what reminded me of the... Yeah, book. I've heard clean your room before you, before you criticize the world. And with the, the numbers to back it, if you, if you touch a thousand people in your lifetime and each of those thousand people touch a thousand people, you're one lifetime away from impacting a million and like, I mean, I just think about how many people I encountered through my schooling and through work and social circles and otherwise. And it is, I mean, just like you're saying, I just, yeah, to echo and what Lauren is saying too, the importance of starting as an individual and shouldering responsibility. I think it's a, a super needed message. Mm-hmm. I'm bad at taking personal responsibility for my diet. Mm. Like, it's easy for me to rationalize, like, stupid reasons to eat something unhealthy. And, like, maybe this is a small example, but I I feel like we talked about huge, huge structural things. And, like, it's just really easy for me to be like, oh, I deserve this butter on crackers because I had a bad day. And, like, I don't know if it was... 
maybe a close friend of mine. It might have even been a counselor of mine. Just actually, I think I wrote it to myself in a letter, but. Like at some point, <laughs> <laughs> it might have been like Mahatma Gandhi. I'm okay, no, it was me. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm just. <laughs> it was my on what said. Okay, no, I'm not gonna say it. Here you no, I just like at some point you have to tell yourself, or Gandhi has to tell you, or someone has to tell you to grow the ass up and mm -hmm. like take responsibility for your just like actions. Like, no, you don't deserve to eat a pail of ice cream. Like, that's unhealthy. Nobody should ever do that. Like, no, you don't deserve to go cheat on your husband because he's been bad to you. Like, that's a crappy thing to do. Mm. No, you don't deserve to, whatever it is. Like, I think a lot of people say, and I hear it often, I deserve this. And it's like, what do you mean you deserve that? And I know it's maybe a little bit different than like taking responsibility for your actions. But I think like we make a lot of bad choices in the name of deserving it. And then we don't take responsibility after because we deserved it. And often those decisions are unhealthy. Anyways, that's my aside. Yeah, no. Yeah, that deserving thing, that entitlement is interesting. Because even entitlement is, it has the connotation of being undeserved. Or like, you didn't earn it yourself. It was bestowed upon you, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the divine rights of Englishmen and all that type of stuff. It is really interesting. There's definitely is this this complex in us, at least in America, where we kind of have this feeling of entitlement. And then, like you said, I don't I don't know if I would probably have to think about it more to eloquently articulate it. But yeah, to your point, the deserving and the entitlement then doesn't lead to any further responsibility for the consequences. There's there is some weird exoneration mentally um, that happens. It's really fascinating. And, that, I, and it goes, I would say, both ways. Like, I mean, there have been awful things that have happened to me. And, like, like the first time I was raped, I walked away and for a year after told myself I deserved it. Mm. Like, why is that? You know, I mean, like, both, it can go both ways. Where, I mean, yeah, it's like whether I'm justifying six drinks instead of two that I had two weeks ago. I deserved those six drinks I worked hard that week or I'm justifying something worse in my own life. It's like, I deserved to be raped. Like, I don't know like what that is, but I think it's a big problem and I think it's somewhere tied to freedom and responsibility. I'm not exactly sure how I didn't research any of this. It's all just like coming to my mind right now, but I think so one. So the idea of rights is like funny in some way because like it involves putting the responsibility onto other people. So if like I say I have a right to um, like universal health care as an example, like that's like putting the responsibility on myself paying taxes, but if I lose my job, like the community to pay taxes and like take on the responsibility of my healthcare. And I think that that's like kind of associated with what you're talking about, about the deserved is it's like, oh, I'm taking this 
it's kind of like the blaming. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm taking this responsibility that may or may not be on my shoulders, but like we're taking it here and we're putting it, putting it there. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess that's where I think like that the, the like deserved piece comes from, which is like this weird, I mean, it's, it is this weird, like psychological mind game where it's like, oh, if like responsibility is the way to meaning, why are we, why do we tend to, or it seems like we tend to take this responsibility and put it on others. Mm -hmm. um, Fascinating. Yeah, I think in the flip side, which like instead of putting out others, we're putting something that we're not responsible for on us, as you talked about. I think that that could also be like a pathological conclusion to the ideas of freedom and obviously justice as well. It's like, yeah, because again, as Sartre said, total freedom, which a lot of Americans think we have, something we are inculcated with, that means total responsibility. So therefore, whatever happens to you, you deserve it, right? the good or bad um that is something that we could internalize and obviously sometimes i don't know like the word deserve is just like pff, right that's such a bloated word in general but <laughs> yeah um yeah obviously like no one deserves any sort of atrocity as like what you're speaking of no one deserves to get raped so it does seem to be like I, I i'm not a fucking psychoanalyst but just <laughs> in the context of our conversation of freedom responsibility i could see that internalization as a culture and for some just i mean some people like yourself obviously so tell us about sartre my research didn't bring me to the name at all so i <clears throat> yeah i'm unfamiliar so jean paul sartre french philosopher he essentially wrote the blueprint for existentialism existentialism is a philosophy essentially about human existence and specifically separating us from any sort of divine comeuppance, right? It's just like, no, we're here, we exist. Let's figure this shit out as human beings. It's like, it's just us. Um, so he's kind of, existentialism is kind of one of these things that descends from the ideas of Nietzsche, like God is dead, right? We, no one's here to take responsibility for us. No one's here to guide us. It's up to us as a species and as individuals to do it. And some of the pillars that Sartre laid out. So number one, the most important, I well, maybe not the most important, but the one that kind of, I suppose, gives existentialism its name is existence precedes essence. Existence, so us living, us becoming into being, precedes, comes before essence, which would be purpose or meaning. Again, that comes with like God. There's no God that's out here telling us what to do. And then number two would be each person, and this one is really fascinating, and <laughs> I've got, you know, we it's really interesting. Number two, each person is responsible for all people. I agree 100%. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That one is really, really, that's, I mean, that's a big claim, but I've heard it so often through our conversations, and obviously as Americans, like we have differing, you know, it's like, what, what does freedom mean? Like I talk about the freedom from bonds, the freedom from... Mm -hmm. Like, uh, like you, if, if I am my own free thinker and own free person who is completely in control and you are too, how do I have any responsibility for you? That's you, right? If I want to move away from my family and do this and like, 
disregard all my prior obligations that normal humans or like throughout human history we've had, I can do that. But Sartre is like, no, you're totally free, but you also totally responsible. So no, you can't like yeah. you're responsible. Not only are you responsible for your family, your kids, your siblings, whoever, all people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's part of the reason I sponsor a child and like people, well, I don't know. People don't ask me about it, but Aiden asked me about it once, I guess. And that was kind of my answer. I think there were other reasons too. Like I also believe in human potential and like I sponsor a kid in Uganda and Uganda as a country is like near and dear to my heart, but it's like, yeah, we live in a world of orphans and I believe that I have some responsibility to orphans in general. Mm -hmm. And so like if I chose a country and I'm sponsoring an orphan, like it's because I should be. Mm -hmm. I feel similarly about giving blood. Like I don't think I deserve a gold star for either of those things. I believe that people have a personal responsibility to do something about orphans Mm -hmm. and to do something about the people who can't give blood. So I do. Yeah. And like, yeah, I don't. Because you have the choice. Talk about it often and i'm not like waving it around but like yeah i think you should do it too Mm. yeah okay we might come back to that third point each is condemned to freedom each person is condemned to freedom so that obviously sheds a lot of light on everything we've talked about what freedom is responsibility too much freedom from your prison all that type of stuff so one existence precedes essence two each person is responsible for all people three each person is condemned to freedom and there's kind of three based on my understanding of how it works there's kind of three bullet points under the condemnation into freedom which it's anguish which is the total and deep understanding of responsibility that gives you anguish or it could forlornness which the word forlorn means like feel alone abandoned and that comes from the idea that like god is dead there isn't any big figure that's responsible for you you're responsible for you and then lastly despair man is nothing but his life and his actions so that can lead to despair that there isn't any greater thing there's nothing like it can save you from right there's no like christian redemption or like blood that's going to redeem you and bring you back it's like you are your life and your actions specifically not what you try to do not what you think you're going to do not your intention not your belief your actions Viktor Frankl wrote about feeling free even in Auschwitz because he was free to choose to have meaningful suffering. That came to mind as Viktor Frankl talked about, wrote about feeling free even in Auschwitz Mm. because he could choose to find meaning in his suffering. And for him, that was to one day be reunited with his wife, actually. Because while your body may be imprisoned, your mind is free. To, like, yeah, feel or choose freedom. So the condemned to freedom. At the very least, your mind is. Um, I resonate with, I think, to... Well, I struggle a little with the word condemned, too, because I would say, like, we are slaves to freedom, maybe. Condemned to, maybe that's one and the same. But I would like to believe that, like, in the light of Viktor Frankl, even if you're 
world is really crappy and things are not going your way, like you can choose to have meaningful suffering or you can choose to have meaningful freedom. I think so. Yeah, I think to the the choice of the word condemned to freedom. is like is or might be challenged in some ways when like I think about uh Steven Pinker talk in his book Enlightenment Now and, and then there's another book on my docket called The Rational Optimist and it's just like how humanity because of like the price of goods going down, the standard of living on average, at least in the U.S., for sure is is rising. Um, and then, I mean, in many developing countries, especially since the 70s, people have been lifted out of poverty. And I think that, like, from that and then also decreased violence on like a bigger picture scale um i think that like that freedom can also and the the sequence of of a life and actions can also permit the possibility at least of building something good and something like where there is a world where there is as little suffering or at least meaningful suffering or the most meaningful suffering uh, like available. Uh, I, I think that, yeah, I guess that that's where maybe I would, like I, I see where freedom can be torturing in some ways, but I, I think that it also permits the possibility of, of positive outcomes. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm, I'm saying that condemned is a sticking, a sticking point yeah. for us. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that Sartre for sure, he lived a troubled life like many great philosophers, you know, he had some afflictions as a child and all that type of stuff. And I do think that he does believe there is, like he says, like anguish is a product of uh, freedom, the understanding mm -hmm. that you, you are a free being, uh, along with forlornness and despair, which those are very powerful words and powerful emotions and powerful, mm -hmm. powerful states of consciousness. Nevertheless, I don't think that he sees existentialism as, I think when he says condemnation, I don't think he's putting a value judgment on it. I think he's only saying you are condemned, you are sentenced to, you don't have a choice mm -hmm. but to be free. Mm -hmm. That's all I think he's saying. Yeah. And yes, there are, it doesn't matter. Like you have to pick your poison in life. Either right. way, like if you're going to be, okay, we're, we don't have freedom. We're deterministic by some cosmic being or this universe or whatever, or you're sentenced to, you are free and you do have all this responsibility and you do have the choices and you, you are morally responsible. Either way, you are going to be condemned. I'm not sure that he was necessarily putting a value judgment on yeah. it. Yes, of course, he thinks that the fact that we're free can lend itself to positive things. Sure. I, I believe that he definitely thought that. 
Um, I just think it's just more like a, your sentence to this. It's as soon like as you're born, before you, you were born, yeah. nothing you can do about it. This is yeah. who we are. Yeah. And because he was a philosopher, I think he died in like 1970 or something. So his time was still a very religious time. Um, but also he was French. So they're also going to all these revolutions and renaissances and this and that. So he just, as you have to do when you're trying to be a revolutionary or a great thinker, you you can't just be like milly mouth and like kind of like yeah. hey like you kind of like hey you got you know you have to like make a statement like so yeah. he's using these powerful words for a reason to get people's attention mm-hmm. and to let people know like hey yeah like you know like it got a reaction to you guys right it's like that's like condemned to freedom like that's a powerful phrase yeah. it makes you think yeah. yeah so i i think that all those things kind of come together but yeah i mean i think it's i don't know he could be right maybe i i found a lot of interesting things in there um i think again i don't because my ideas on free will because it's just a whole type of freedom right free will like freedom of choice because you have a government mm-hmm. like freedom whatever like all the amendments the bill of rights all that type of stuff there's different types of freedom mm-hmm. but i think i definitely disagree with a lot of what maybe not what he said but at least how people have interpreted his work and how existentialism existentialism and freedom of will and all that has manifested but i think yeah like at the end of the day under this umbrella of determinism, if we want to say we have these freedoms, I'm like, it seems to be that way. It's important to act in that way. And I really did like, though, because to me, it always felt like, oh, if we have free will, then like it does seem like a freedom from almost everything else, too. But it's like, no, you are responsible for every single person. So when you make a decision, think about that. It's kind of very Kantian. It's like, if everybody made this decision, could human human race prosper? And it's like, Okay, if not, then don't do that, <laughs> right? Don't mm-hmm. steal, don't do this, don't murder, don't blah, blah, And I think where where I kind of stand on it, I think on a micro level, I'm pretty individualistic, pretty like do whatever you want. Don't worry too much about what people think. Don't worry too much what your family needs, all that on a micro level. But then when you get to a macro level where it's like, whether that be like more people or more just like harsher consequences, like mm-hmm. death or something, then I think I get pretty like, hey, you're responsible for everybody. Hey, we're all in this together. Hey, we're all human race. Like you can't just go live whatever life you want. It's like, we have to come together as a human race to like achieve our apotheosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a big part of that is understanding what community means and what being, I mean, a community member should look like or could look like what is being a community member it means that when you are in ninth grade if you are thinking about daring one of your other (sighs) fellow classmates to jump out the window someone freaking says something before the student jumps out the window because you know it's a dumb idea that's what it means (laughs) yep can you give me a second definition? <laughs> I don't know that sufficed. <laughs> that, that was a great definition. <laughs> There's a concept called apoptosis mm. in multicellular organisms where a cell will self-destruct for the greater good of the entire being. If we extrapolate this to a society, a community, I'm curious in light of obviously the freedom and the each man, each person is responsible for every person. When does an entity, whether it be a cell or an organ or a 
plant or human, whatever, when do they decide to self-sacrifice for the greater good of the whole? What does that take? Or do they decide? The cell, maybe not. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, That's it's an pretty in- programmed biologically. And because of that, I would, I would imagine that the self-destruction is inherent if it's necessary. So like in the body, only would apoptosis happen, only would the cell die when it's necessary. Um, and that's pre-programmed, it's predetermined. So that I would carry on to society. However, we also know that there are times where the body should have apoptosis and the cells keeps growing and that is why we have cancer today and we don't have a way to cure it and we don't have a way to save the entity really and so i wonder too if like if what you're thinking of is the larger problems of society if that could be like the cancer of society that's a fascinating set of just like where my mind went is uh i've seen a a graph where like drinking alcohol has been going down uh for younger like over generations in the u.s at least um on average in terms of like the amount uh drank over a certain time period um and I was thinking about, oh, maybe that's like because of the internet and seeing like the examples of what they don't want um, and like hearing of examples of what they don't want um, to be like. So like, you know, like I don't want to be like this alcoholic that so-and-so knew or whatever. Like I think that like that's a, a fascinating taken the apoptosis and like cancer regard like at a societal level like if if at a societal level we do need some like blight like that of self-destruction to point more people or most people in the right direction uh like because i mean for me at least in in the job and profession space i've learned a lot about what i don't want and that's like been most informative, honestly, in terms of making my future decisions. It's like, oh, I don't want this. Okay, I'm gonna choose this. And then like, I realize I don't want that. I'm gonna choose this going forward. So it's kind of a, yeah, just a, a fascinating like extrapolation if like maybe at a species level, some of this, obviously we don't want like it to get to cancer levels and like, it's tragic that it happens at all. Um, but like, I think about it in, in that example, at least. And to me, it makes a ton of sense. Well, we're getting close to time. Um, mm-hmm. and we haven't really talked at all about like legal responsibility. Hmm. Uh, and I'm not sure that pivoting there makes sense with not much time left, but I do just want to, to say 
which, yeah, we don't have to talk about. But I do just want to say that given everything that I've just said, I don't know that we should hold people as legally responsible with the same consequences that we do today. Like, I think as a society, we're not doing a very good job of being stewards of, like, good choices versus bad choices. I agree. Socrates and Socrates said that nobody with the sufficient amount of information ever makes a wrong decision. So for me, there's just, in order for you to make these decisions, you had to have some sort of wrong information or program. So therefore, yes, because we are a functioning society with not too many other outlets, we do need prisons. But to your point, there needs to be some reform. We're not handing them the compassion enough way and our draconian prison system is not kept up with the science yeah i agree and i just don't know that like i i really i really do believe that like knowledge is power and so if you could get all the information i really believe that you would not make that choice again and so like some of these 20, 30, 50 lifetime sentences just to me seem quite absurd. And I obviously am not an expert, but just that's my like personal thought when it comes to responsibility to the law. I don't know mm-hmm. if you have any additional thoughts, A. Eh? I... I mean, I agree that it it is extreme. I do think that there is, to some extent, a purpose, and and like it does help some. Uh, does improve some of our society's functioning? Having, like, I mean, I, I think I mean punish. Punishment is is a motivator to get people to like nudge in like perhaps a more helpful direction. And I def I mean I definitely agree with you guys that the prison system needs catching up and needs to move towards um, like heal a more health centric and healing and. Uh, trying to like help people get to a better place. Um, I do think that, like, I mean, I think about like parking fines, there's definitely issues with those for sure in terms of people getting trapped with parking fines. Um, but like to get people to not park in this, in that, in that location, um, if that's what is needed, like that's pretty effective means. So I don't know. Um, yeah, just to like, I guess, add that two cents and that stuff's complicated. <laughs> all right, common scientists. <laughs> well, we don't have all the answers. We're just out here asking questions and doing some exploration. I hope you guys enjoyed today's conversation on freedom or and versus responsibility whichever you choose. Uh, I know I had had fun in the conversation and we look forward to hearing from you guys 
uh, and continuing to see you guys tune in next time. Hey, Common Scientists. Hope you enjoyed the cast. Thanks for investing in Common Science. We hope it brought as much value to you as it did to us. To learn more, smash the subscribe button and visit our website, commonscientists.com, where you can read our blog, join our email newsletter, and follow us on social media. Finally, if you like what we have to say, you can absolutely support us on Patreon. We can always use more support. You can navigate there also from our website, commonscientists.com, common scientists with an S, so that we can continue cultivating a community of common scientists.